1929, the American Tobacco Company was trying to figure out how to expand their market share by getting more women to buy their cigarettes. Though women had finally won the right to vote nine years earlier, women's rights groups were still very active, pushing back against any and all social distinctions between men and women. One such distinction that was particularly bothersome to a tobacco company was this kind of unspoken rule that women don't smoke in public. American Tobacco hired a man named Edward Bernays, who is the double nephew of Sigmund Freud. Yes, double nephew. Like a nephew, but better. Now, if you're anything like me, you hear double nephew and you can't get, like, you're not going to hear anything else until you find out what that is. Like, what on earth does that mean? It sounds like it could be bad. Uh, I definitely wasted some time trying to understand what a double nephew or niece or double aunt or uncle is, and it's actually pretty straightforward. But the definitions I found online made it unnecessarily complicated. So you get the benefit of my <laughs> time wasted trying to figure out what that is. Basically, say two people get married. We'll call them the first couple. They have a child. Let's say the first couple each have one sibling. And let's say that those siblings somehow also get married to each other. The child of the first couple is now the double nephew or double niece of the siblings. You're welcome. Anyway, American Tobacco hires this guy named Bernays to try to figure out how to sell more of their cigarettes to women. And Bernays sees an opportunity that will change American life and maybe life on the planet forever and has a profound impact on your everyday life. Bernays figured out that you can market a product not based on the product itself, but based on the desires of the people you want to buy your product specifically their desire for self-actualization. So in New York City, during the Easter Sunday parade, which is still a thing, I found out, surprisingly, uh, Bernays hired a bunch of women to march in the parade, and on his signal, they pull out a cigarette and light up what Bernays branded and pushed out to the media as torches of freedom. He hired photographers to capture the entire thing, and this became American Tobacco's ad campaign. Women, light up your torches of freedom. Smoke American tobacco cigarettes. All of a sudden, the image of women smoking in public um, was the image of a woman who was free from oppression, a woman who was taking hold of her power and her equality with men. And thus, a legitimate protest and freedom movement was co-opted by a huge company to sell more of their product. Some things never change. And a psychologically driven marketing and advertising approach was born that has only become more and more complex and effective today. And thus, we now have the idea that if you just drink the, the right kind of beer, you'll attract the right partner. Or if you use the right hair products, you'll be the envy of your office. Or if you drive the right car, you'll live the life that you want. Or if you have the newest phone, you'll be satisfied. Or if you buy this particular diet's branded food, you'll have a perfectly fit and toned body, which will get you the partner you want, which will get you the life that you want, which means you'll finally be happy. Or a slightly different version of the same idea. If you just post this particular thing or types of things on social media, you're a good person. And if you don't, then you're a bad person. Bernays developed the beginning of this huge machine of our culture that manufactures desire and then markets products to us to meet these ultimately unmeetable desires. We'll come back to this in a minute. 
Tonight, we are continuing our Fruit of the Series Spirit. <laughs> Fruit of the Spirit series. Good Lord. Tonight, we are continuing our Fruit of the Spirit series that we talked about last week with love. This series is based on what Paul writes in Galatians 5, particularly verses 13 through 22, which goes like this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not to do whatever you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul says, you were made to be free. Aim your life in the direction of love and move toward it. Or aim your life in the direction of death and move toward it. We have two choices, spirit or flesh. Both are vying for influence over you. Two different kinds of uh, influences, two different directions to aim and walk toward. One leads to death, one leads to the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. As we talked about last week, like light passing through a prism creating a rainbow, love is expressed in all kinds of wonderful ways, like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Tonight, we're exploring that first color in the spectrum of love, which is joy. We're going to be talking about what joy is. Then we'll look at some optical obstacles to joy in our lives. And then we'll end with how we can counter those obstacles and, can, and, and cultivate joy in our lives. So, what is joy? I don't have a song like last week when we asked, what is love? But joy, like love, is a bit tricky to define beyond a feeling of great pleasure and happiness, which is what the def dictionary definition is. Philip Kennison, who is a professor of theology and philosophy, describes joy um, this way, which I really like. Joy is the intense satisfaction, the sense of well-being, and the underlying contentment at having experienced something for which we have earnestly longed, something we have deeply desired. I love that. Joy is the satisfaction that comes when we find that for which we have been looking and longing. Joy, we often use synonymously with pleasure, often as like intense pleasure. Joy isn't merely a degree of pleasure. Joy transcends pleasure. It's like pleasure, but it differs in a key way. Joy entails being drawn out of ourselves, freely taking delight in something or someone beyond ourselves. This other-directedness nature of joy is what sets it apart from pleasure and links it so strongly to love, as we talked about last week. Joy shows up all throughout the Bible, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, 
as both creation and God's response to God's love as expressed in God's creative and redemptive work. Joy is consistently present as the human response to an increased awareness of God's nearness, um, an increased awareness of the depth of God's love and grace as we experience um, things like reveling in creation, um, healing, restoration, reunion, redemption, and reconciliation, not just with God, but with each other. Everything we experience in our lives that produces a greater awareness of God's love for us often result in joy. This is why in Christianity, suffering and joy are often talked about closely. It's why Christianity is able to talk about finding joy in the midst of pain and suffering. We often think of joy or happiness as the absence of pain and suffering, but Christian joy is the response to God's presence which we often uniquely experience in the midst of pain and suffering. Not all the time, even when we don't experience a greater awareness of God's presence in the midst of that pain and suffering, um, which certainly happens. Sometimes the suffering and pain are a result of, or are at least exacerbated by feeling like God is nowhere to be found. Even then, there is joy that we cling to because the more we come through suffering and pain, the more we root ourselves and abide in love itself, the more we are able to trust that experiences of suffering and pain lead to deeper maturity, deeper growth, and deeper joy in our lives. Joy isn't about ignoring pain and suffering, but ultimately, suffering doesn't steal our joy because we know that these things like pain and suffering don't have the final word. As Karl Barth puts it, Um, In the face of human suffering, Christian joy stands as a defiant nevertheless. I love that. This is what joy is, uh, freely taking delight in something or someone beyond ourself, which requires, obviously, the willingness to be open to something beyond oneself. And that other or outward-oriented nature of joy as an expression of love is at odds with so much of the nature of our culture today. The first obstacle to cultivating joy in in our culture is the pursuit of individual happiness being the highest good. Our culture definitely sees fulfillment of personal desires the highest aim. And so we are constantly being pushed to pursue whatever will bring us the greatest amount of pleasure. We are shaped and influenced to be self-oriented, which flies in the face of this other-oriented nature of joy and love. That's the first obstacle, and it's a big one. Another but closely related obstacle is the consequence and development of Bernays' psychologically-based marketing and advertising that instills in us desire for whatever is newest, whatever is most improved, be that phones or cars or technology. Um, It instills in us a desire for bigger things or more of the thing, houses, salaries, um, vessels of entertainment, toys to keep us happy. We always want more or the next biggest thing. It also instills in us a fear and an anxiety that we're missing out or that we're falling behind um, from our peers. It instills in us the sense of fear and anxiety that we'll be the weird ones. We'll be the ones that don't belong if we don't buy the right things. This cultivates in us endless and insatiable desires, rendering us incapable of experiencing joy in our everyday lives. 
And in that place of perpetual longing and discontent, we become poisoned by cynicism and despair. I don't know about you, but when I look around our country right now, cynicism and despair kind of abound. But we want to aim our lives in the direction of and walk towards love. So if these are obstacles um, to joy in our lives, what can we do to cultivate more joy? What can we do to walk by the Spirit towards love? Well, I have a few ideas. This seems really obvious, but it kind of hit me this week. Um, to cultivate joy, we need to do more rejoicing in our lives. Jesus was all about parties and feasts, all about rejoicing with other people. We should be doing the same and we should be doing more of it. We should be regularly and intentionally pointing out what is good and beautiful and celebrating that together. Secondly, to combat the obstacles um, to joy in our culture, we need to nurture contentment within ourselves and the people around us. We need to uh, intentionally reflect on the goodness of what we do have and the ways that we have been cared for. Both of these things, rejoicing and contentment, are beautifully wrapped up in the practice of gratitude. I know that I've been talking about this a lot in the past year, but I'm, I'm not trying to inject it in places. It honestly just keeps coming back up over and over and over again as this really fundamental expression of love. And engaging these simple practices of gratitude really has changed my life. Um, practicing gratitude can take many forms. The two that I engage with the most are a practice of daily gratitude. So taking time every day, uh, I'm not good at doing this every day, but taking time at some point in the day to reflect on things that I am grateful for. They can be silly, tiny things. They can be big, huge things in my life. It really doesn't matter. Just finding at least three things that I am grateful for and thanking God for them. Another practice that I've been trying to incorporate more and more is as I'm aware of something in my life that I'm grateful for in the moment, I just acknowledge it by saying, thank you, God. This is really fun. This is really awesome. This is really profound. Thank you for allowing me this experience. These are simple practices. Simple practices of rejoicing that also nurture contentment at the same time. Gratitude is both of these things in one, which is part of why it's so powerful. So, practice gratitude. Next, spend time with kids. Your cynicism evaporates when you're around children because their joy is infectious. Yes, it can be extremely difficult and draining. Yes, a whining child can undo the most mentally tough human being. Yes, sometimes they drive you into the literal end of your capacity. And at the same time, somehow, their joy is just relentless and infectious. Try having a bad day around a kid who is bursting with joy. I dare you. Daisy has taught me so much about joy. She overflows with joy pretty much all the time. I mean, obviously she's a kid and a human, so definitely there are times when she's not happy. But for the most part, she's living her best life no matter what we're doing or where we are. And seeing her find joy in just about everything, things that I take for granted like bugs or the moon or cheese or coming home or riding in the car or flowers or bubbles, being alive 
She soaks up the joy of simply being in just about every moment she experiences, and that spreads to everyone around her, including me. I'm trying to figure out how to cultivate that to a greater degree in her, rather than letting the world dilute and dull it as she gets older and faces real pain and suffering in her life. But simply being around her inspires me and cultivates in me a deep sense of joy, man, that cuts right through my worst day and my deepest cynicisms. Simply being around a child, simply being around joy incarnate changes us. Now, before those of you who don't have kids feel like this excludes you, you don't have to have kids of your own to be around kids. Part of what is so great uh, about being in community with others is that there are plenty of us that are looking for good, reliable, and trustworthy babysitters to spend time with our kids. And when we get back to public worship gatherings, there will be opportunities to be around and care for kids every Tuesday night. And hopefully next year, we'll get back to doing Royal Family Kids Camp again together. And if you need an injection of joy in your life, Man, Royal Family Kids Camp is a lot of things, and it is hard, but more than anything, it is a beautiful picture of joy. So, there are plenty of ways to enjoy and be influenced by the joy of children uh, beyond having your own. And honestly, sometimes it's easier to see the joy of kids who aren't your own and who haven't been grading on you all day. Uh, It's easier to see it in kids who (laughs) aren't yours anyway. So, interact with kids. Finally, curb how much time you allow yourself to be advertised to, which honestly is constantly in basically all manifestations of the internet, even with ad blockers. It's obviously present in TV, but not just the commercials. TV shows and movies, for that matter, are essentially just really long ads with a plot to distract you. You are constantly being advertised to in most, if not all, media. So be intentional um, about curbing that time and disconnecting from the Bernays desire fabrication machine. Spend time connecting with people, with nature, with creation, and with yourself. It's often easy to overlap all of these things. Um, I I don't know about you, but especially in the midst and somewhat aftermath of quarantine, whatever it is that we're in right now, I just hit this place of advertising and entertainment overload. And I needed to find ways to disconnect from that and reconnect with things that are important. So I've been spending a lot more time outside. I've been spending a lot more time outside with Mac and Daisy. I've been riding my bike to and from work every day, which I honestly never thought that I would do. But it's been amazing. These little things that help me unplug and reconnect with like real life, with nature, um, the people I love the most and myself, just moments of fresh air away from this machine, this desire machine has been so great for me. And you can ask Michaela, my demeanor has changed drastically. I'm lighter. I'm more joyful. I am a better version of myself when I take time to disconnect from the machine. I'm sure you can relate to feeling overloaded and bombarded with advertising because you my sisters and brothers, are called to be free. So unplug. Go outside. Have an actual conversation with someone. Enjoy the beauty and goodness of what is right in front of you right now. 
aim your life in the direction of and walk towards love. Cultivate joy. Fight cynicism. May we be people who are rooted and abiding in love, rather than being tossed about by the relentless machines of manufactured and insatiable desire. May we be people marked and characterized by the rich and deep joy of love itself. May our joy be contagious in a time when cynicism runs rampant. May we abide rooted and growing in the love of love itself. Amen.